It's early morning, February 15th, 2013, and an experienced cyclist is finishing up his training ride in Redondo Beach, California. He's ridden this route many times before without any danger, and so why should today be any different? Suddenly, out of nowhere, a vehicle turns in front of him, cutting him off. David Adler, who's traveling 23.4 miles an hour, slams full force into the side of the car, breaking 25 bones, puncturing both lungs, and causing a brain injury that would not be detected until it was almost too late. I knew I couldn't go back. You just put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to live. Just dug even deeper. Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so why couldn't I? That was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Cogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. The hardest thing for me to hear, and I can still hear it, is when she said, you're not the man I married. David Adler survived the horrific bike crash, which nearly ended his life. But the nightmare has continued for six years, and at times has truly tested David's will to survive. Although David's broken bones eventually healed, a suspected internal injury began to present symptoms, creating confusion and turmoil for this father of two. But he kept it all from his wife and family. That was until the night he reached breaking point. This is a remarkable story of how resilience, determination, and a strong relationship has built a road back to recovery and ignited a burning desire to help others who are also living with traumatic brain injury. All right, I'm with Carol and David. It is uh, June of 2019, and boom. Really appreciate you guys coming in because we're here to talk about something that I'm learning more about. I've learned more about because of you guys, which was something mm -hmm. that happened to both of you uh, six years ago. Uh, February... February 13th? 15th. February 15th, 2013. 2013. So more than six years ago, mm -hmm. on that day, your relationship, your lives took a completely different turn. I was finishing a ride. I was doing a training ride. I was coming home, finished all the training, uh, riding on Catalina Boulevard, nice, easy, just on a bicycle, on a bicycle, on my bike, and that's all I remember. Okay, so that's all you remember, but and Carol, what do you remember? Uh, it's very vivid. I got a phone call from a friend of ours who said, David's been in an accident, get to the hospital right away. And I was just about to walk our daughter to school, and she was with her best friend, and I said, hey, you guys good to go on your own today? So that was the last time I ever walked her to school. She just went and I went straight to the hospital and had no idea how bad the accident was. What and was you know, going through your mind w w on the trip? Obviously you I, didn't tell your daughter that there'd been an accident. No, um, I really didn't think it was that bad because you know he's such an adventure athlete. He'd been in mountain biking accidents, he's skiing an accidents. Skier. And nothing was ever that serious, so I got to the hospital, I called his brother right away, he met me there, and they wouldn't let us see him. And we were at Harbor UCLA, which is a trauma hospital, and you see a lot of just really bad accidents. So then I started getting nervous. But I, I still, I'm very positive and was just sort of hopeful that this was just a little, he was just a little banged up. And we were supposed to go away for the weekend, just the two of us, and go kayaking and things. And I remember turning to his brother saying, do you think I have to cancel the hotel for the weekend? Wow. And then the nurse came to us and took us in that little room where they tell you bad news and started to talk to us. And as soon as he started talking about David's injuries, I, I was just in shock. His head had gone straight into the car. It, pretty much everything was broken. His lung was punctured and he was in the ICU. And he was in the ICU for six days. And so everything changed. And it, 
I'm just trying to think of how you go from, oh, I'll see you later. Uh, you're talking to your daughter about going to school. You do this drive, and then all of a sudden, you're hit with this, and you just don't know what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And and your brother was there, mm-hmm. uh, Steve. Brother, yeah. Mm-hmm. And who's been amazing, right? Yeah. Um, through all of this. What was he thinking? What was he saying? What were you saying to each other? I really don't remember the conversation, but I just remember his presence being very comforting. And he's he's got a great sense of humor, and so tried to keep it light. And I think in some ways it was good not to know how long the recovery would be, to just stay in the moment and just take it day by day. It was terrifying. People were dying in the ICU while we were there, and that was really scary to know this could be the situation oh it's hard to think about yeah now i haven't thought about that day or those early moments well yeah down in santa monica where i was our construction supervisor was in the house and he was late and he said i was late there was some accident down down south he lived down where you guys were and I said, oh, what happened? He said, oh, someone got hit by a bike uh, on their bike, and it's pretty bad. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, they got a white tent up, so that means he's prob- they've probably wow. died. And that's what started us wondering who was that, and then very quickly word got around that it was you, and then you called. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Wow. And, yeah, and huh. that, was, that was the first time I found out, but not in a million years did I think it was you. Or I thought maybe it would be somebody that I know mm-hmm. of, but not somebody that I know mm-hmm. so closely. Wow. <clears throat> and then I don't know how long it was before I came to the hospital, mm-hmm. but I walked in and I saw David in the state that he was in and I got squeamish. And it was because mm-hmm. I just couldn't b- believe what had happened to you. And you're in the ICU for a week. Mm-hmm. It was severe. It was bad. And I remember the determination that you had in that mm-hmm. moment that you were going to come back, right? Like mm-hmm. nothing was going to slow you down. I don't remember any mm-hmm. of this. Well, you were adamant. Do you remember, mm-hmm. Carol? Like adamant, yeah. I'm going to come yeah. back from this. You're going to see I'm yeah. going to be bigger and stronger and faster <laughs> yeah. than I was before. That's the part that I think is so insightful about this story is that you look at you today physically you're you are as strong as you ever were with a few bits and pieces put in your hands Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing but it's the the part that people can't see that has been the most challenging absolutely since since then so when did you realize Mm -hmm. that this accident was more than broken bones punctured Mm -hmm. lungs metal plates screws i think when he was in the rehab hospital and was getting therapy um I remember him saying oh today I I met with a therapist who's working on executive skills because I'm an executive and I'm going to be getting back to work next week and I was thinking I don't I don't think that's what it's about it was being able to plan a comes first first you brush your teeth then you do this and um, and so there were signs of things that, whoa, something's not right with his memory and his thinking and processing. What was incredible was just how fast you recovered physically. Mm-hmm. You really did. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you just go oh. through the, ex- the extent of the injuries? I mentioned some of them, but just in terms of what they were doing to your hands and the broken bones. and I think just about every finger was broken in this hand and then my wrist and this in my right hand was broken. I have, still have a screw in there. So for seven, eight weeks, I couldn't use my arms. It was really awkward. So those had to heal. I had a broken femur, broken pelvis, a bunch of broken ribs, and double lung puncture. What am I missing? Well, the brain bleed is... <laughs> and, and I had the brain bleed, which I didn't realize was anything. When I was in the hospital, my job, I had an easy job. I just laid there and healed. Um, the thing that, that, I did when I, that I did realize about my brain was I had horrible double vision. 
really bad. I couldn't, you know, I had a TV in my room and people would, you know, bring movies or let's watch TV. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't read. I couldn't do anything. Did it make you feel nauseous or? Um, Felt dizzy and then just really uncomfortable. It was hard to keep my eyes open and focus on anything. So that's when I said, oh, okay, my brain, you know, something happened to my brain. Um, And in the beginning too, I had a, I had a, occupational therapist helping me with my speech because I was having a hard time speaking. So we would read kids books together and then I got my speech back. But the vision was what scared me a lot because I I couldn't control that. All the physical therapy I, I had some control over. I could see it, I could move, I could watch the physical therapist say try this, move you know move your hands this way or learning to walk again. Um, I could visualize that in my head the double vision how does that get fixed? And eventually it, it did get better um, over time. Did a lot of therapy for that. I still get it, double vision. But that was the first clue that something happened in my head. You don't see a, a, brain, a brain bleed. You don't feel it. Nothing hurt in my head. Everything else hurt a lot more. You hit the worst part of the car. Like you could not have hit a worse part of the car, right? Can you explain what happened? You're going down a hill, because you found this out later. Yeah, I was going through an intersection straight. I had a green light, and a car turned in front of me, did not yield to me, didn't see me, and I went right into the side of the car. My head went through the window and also hit the pillar at the top, or the frame, so that's... Between the two doors. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, basically. And then my body, if you look at the picture of the car, you can almost see like my body imprinted on the car. I mean, it just I you splattered like a bug on a windscreen. Absolutely. And your bicycle, I saw photographs of it afterwards. It's like in seven pieces. pieces. It's a carbon fiber bike, and it was just shattered. Shattered. So you figure, if that impact did that to your bicycle, mm-hmm. that force not only we know it broke all those bones, but then you hit your head in a way mm-hmm. that were you even aware of what it meant to have a traumatic brain injury at that point or had you ever met anybody or no, not a thing about it and now you're kind of an expert you guys <laughs> I'm both of you. Um, yeah. which is, which is yeah. why we're here because I, I read some crazy statistics said something like there's 153 Americans every day mm. who die of a traumatic brain injury and two million people in the US have a traumatic brain injury every year which is a staggering number and yet a lot of people are not talking about what the effects are football has become Mm -hmm. a very Mm -hmm. big topic of conversation you remember we had Chris Borland Mm -hmm. who left the NFL because of his concerns of, of brain trauma but this was something that happened through an accident so take us now to this point where Carol you realize there's something wrong like some damage is being done to the wiring the brain is not functioning David's not the same way and David is not the same person in some respects right mm-hmm. I mean it it shifted a lot yeah it definitely shifted his personality and shifted just the way he went through the day he would become so exhausted and have to sleep in the middle of the day um, and so we went back to a doctor and the first doctor confirmed, yeah, you have a traumatic brain injury, but was sort of like, deal with it. I remember his comment saying, well, sometimes I lose my car too. And I think he, he's forgetting his kids' names. He's forgetting where he's going when he's riding a bike. He's forgetting where he's going when he's driving somewhere. This is more than- And how did than, this manifest itself, Carol? Like, would he call you sometimes and say, I don't know where I am or how? Um, yeah, finally, he started talking about yeah, it more. In the beginning, he was sort of hiding, and so I would mostly just see the emotional outbursts. I was easily triggered. I became frustrated and punched a wall. It, 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 it just it ins- seemed normal to me, actually. And um, then when you hit hmm. the wall... Then I, then I said, that hurt. I hit the stud, <laughs> which is, was the worst thing to do. It wasn't very did this, smart. Did this scare you, Carol, when you saw that? Because you said you've never seen this kind of behavior before. Yeah. And that's when I started researching a lot. You know, you can go down a rabbit hole on the internet looking at symptoms and what to do. And I started going to conferences at UCLA about traumatic brain injury. And But there isn't a lot of information readily available. Um, 
Can and I just then, stop and say, yeah. you see, what an amazing woman, right? I mean, she is uh, amazing. I mean, just the idea <laughs> that your instinct was rather than lashing back, you realized there was something wrong. You knew it wasn't the David that you knew and that you love and you married. I would have an outburst and as soon as it was done, I was all better. It's like, oh, I got that out of my system. So you just blew off steam. Yeah, and she had to live with that. And there was a lasting effect on Carol where I'm like, what's the big deal? I'm punched the ball. Yeah, get over it. Basically, get over it. The, the challenges were when I did it a few times where I realized it would dawn on me that that's not, you know, that's not me. I didn't know what I used to be like, but I knew I was mm -hmm. different. And that's, that, was, that was scary. Did you worry about hurting somebody at any point? Did you ever think that it could get to a point where you just were out of control and you might? Never. No. Was, it was always hurting myself. It was more, that was the frustration. I'd be frustrated with, frustrated with myself. Yeah. And I would want to hurt myself, get away from myself, but never wanted to hurt anybody else. A really heavy feeling would hit hit me. I almost became like a like the room would get tunnel vision, dark, and then I would lash out, blow up, mm. and then I would let that off. And then, I, you know, a few minutes later, it's all better. I apologize. So, my understanding, David, is that there were with your behavior, mm -hmm. there were these outbursts. Mm -hmm. uh, you were being irrational at times, and then almost manic behavior at times mm -hmm. absolutely manic and, and how did that play out it played out in a few ways um, the I'd say the the worst way was we, we had an argument and I it's, it's hard to talk about but I uh, was on my way to work we had an argument I was on my way to work and I just kept driving I went past the office and drove up into the mountains um, I wanted to get away from everything, including myself. And I was dressed for work, and I went on the Cleghorn Ridge Trail, which is a pretty tough off-road trail um, um, alone. You know, I took off-road classes with, with your friend Harry Llewellyn. Yeah. So you never go alone. You know, you have a, a, a route planned out. I didn't do that. I just drove and went through the most challenging parts of the course of the road. Uh, not caring if I hurt myself, not caring about anything. I just wanted to get away. And people were calling me. Carol was calling me. My brother was calling me to come home. I went and pick up the phone. I just didn't want to be around anyone, talk to anyone. Did you think of taking your life at that point? Um, when I didn't crash the truck <laughs> and I got to the top, uh, I, I absolutely did. And that was scary. I just you know can't imagine you getting to that place. Somebody who I know is so positive, but to be so desperate, and you must have felt so incredibly alone in that moment. I felt alone. I felt shame for who I was becoming. I didn't know who I was. I knew I was different, absolutely. Um, but I couldn't control it. I didn't like that feeling of being out of control, and I'm. You know, if there was a way to, at that moment, if I, you know, had a gun, I don't think I'd be here because of the impulsivity of just wanting to end it. But I didn't have anything available. Um, it was scary. Thank God. It was a place I never want to go again. But it is, I mean, it's actually, it feel, when you think about it, it's like going down a dark hole. I'm just going down, down, down. I wanted everything. I wanted all to end. Well, I remember getting a call from you that mm -hmm. day, Carol, mm -hmm. asking if, I knew where David was, and then I tried calling David, and then just went to voicemail. Um, so you get to this point, David. There must have been a turning point. Something made you turn around, come back. I finally picked up the phone. I'm not and who sure. did you call? Um, and mm -hmm. I picked. I think that's my brother, my brother Steve, that called. And. I don't know. Remember exactly what he said. I think he might have said, "You know, we're worried. Don't do. You know, basically, don't do something stupid." He needed to ground you, right, and remind you about and then, your wife and your kids and your family. He, and he did all that. I called everybody <laughs> because the last thing you said to me that morning, you threw down the life insurance and said, 
I'm out of here. You have everything you need. Oh man. Oh yeah. And oh yeah. That, I, did that <laughs> I didn't know about that part. Yeah. That was the last thing you did before you walked out the door. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Carol, you must have been absolutely. That must have been the longest day of your yeah. life. Yeah. I had. And you're going to gonna keep this from your kids too, right, Carol? I mean, there's nobody. It's not like yeah. that's something you can share with your kids. So, who were you? emoting to who are you leaning on in that moment um i had a couple good girlfriends that know but i hadn't really talked to many people about the symptoms and things that had been happening but i remember opening up to them then and i also was terrified just just getting through the day you know who's taking care of the kids and who's picking them up and right. all those all the kinds practical of things. things yeah the practical things so um, so you did you manage to convince david to 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 call the therapist or did the no ther- the therapist called him and you saw the number come up and it, and it was after i had spoken with my brother and then i i saw his name and i, I picked it up because i knew i needed help at that point i mean Thank God. I, I knew i wasn't yeah. gonna, i mean the thought of killing myself was was gone and now I'm you're sitting, sitting in the car I'm somewhere the up car, on top of a hill. Sitting in the car, alone, no one around me. And then the thought came over, like, "Crap, what did I just do?" And now I'm embarrassed. I'm sad. I knew that I scared people, hurt people, and I didn't know how to come back. Like, hey, I'm home. I mean, I couldn't do that. So right. um, I went and uh, drove down the mountain. I think he met me at like 10 p.m. And we just talked. And what was it that he said that really helped you get to a place where you were open to getting help? Partly it was, I mean, we talked about everything. I remember, you know, so what? You made a mistake kind of thing. It's not get over it. Basically get over it. Your family loves you. You love them. Um, and, you know, you can get through this. You can get through. And he, and he, he had known us for years. Yeah. Um, and because of that and he knew our relationship and he was confident that we could get through it Hmm. so is this really like the turning point in terms of the severity of what is happening like okay Mm -hmm. we have a real issue and where were you at Mm -hmm. at that point carol with understanding traumatic brain injury in your research um still sort of in the early stages yeah like it's one thing to have information, but now what do we do with it? How do we help this? Right. And I confided in a friend and she said, you know what? I just met these two guys at the do conference who are amazing. And there's a film you need to see and you need to meet these people. And that was Adam Pierce and Kevin Pierce, the creators of love your brain. And Kevin was a snowboarder who was in a devastating accident. And, Um, so I reached out to him. She gave me his email address and I just emailed him and explained a little bit of our story and he sent me the film and I just sat and cried watching it because there was so much recognition and Kevin's accident was far more severe than what we had been through. But to see someone going through rehab. Those manic stages, those wanting to get back out again yeah not accepting that there was a change yeah so it was very comforting just to know there are other people who've been through far worse than you've been through and they're doing all right now and they're coming back um and so that led to us watching the film as a family and it really opened up a dialogue and david became much more open to talking about it and um, we were able to meet Kevin and Adam a couple months later. And that was incredible. For those people Life-changing, who, I would say. For those people who don't know, Crash Reel is this extraordinary film about an Olympian, an Olympic-level oh, snowboarder, yeah. Kevin uh-huh. Pierce. So, so Kevin was training for the Olympics. Yes. Kevin was. I mean, he was one of the best in the world. And this documentary started about him going to the Olympics. It was a very positive thing. Here's Kevin going to the Olympics. And then he has a uh, devastating crash on the half pipe. He's he's something like twenty five feet up in the air, and he comes down on the edge of the uh, the half pipe, right? Just Mm -hmm. goes right down and hits his head, head and just unconscious. And And just his life, seeing his life change in an instant. 
Right. And then his family rallying around mm-hmm. him. And that was the most poignant moment in the film for me was the intervention with the family yeah. to try to get him to recognize that he wasn't the same person mm-hmm. that he was before the accident. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the same physical abilities. He didn't have the same balance. Mm-hmm. And that if he hit his head one more time, that was going to be it. Yeah. And did you, when you were watching this film, David, were you able to recognize yourself in <laughs> Kevin in that moment? And in, in, in many, many, many ways. Just even seeing the rehab he was going through, um, he had vision problems and you know, playing the same games and physical therapy for your vision. And I could relate a lot to it. Did it give you comfort? Did it make it gave, you feel it gave like... Me, it gave me comfort that someone else has been through this and they could make it and and be all right. Yeah. That, that was a big piece of it. Um, seeing his resilience mm-hmm. was inspiring. When you saw him be really dogmatic in the film and say to his family, no, I'm going back, I'm going to snowboard, I'm going to do the things that I used to do, and you'll see, I'm going to show you, I'm going to prove it to you. Were you able to recognize that he was being irrational in that moment, unrealistic? I knew that he was being irrational, but I also understood why. Right. You want to be what you were before. There's a loss Yeah. in who you are. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was, that's a big challenge. Um, your brain tells you everything's okay. I I've, I've, was ready right after the accident, I think, to go skiing again. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But your, and your brain's telling you those things. You had not only the 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 issues with memory but you're also dealing with pain too right i mean you were on some major pain meds for quite a while and that that was for me i thought my issues with my brain my irrational behavior i thought that was all because of the meds i uh was in a lot of pain and that's got to make you just feel irritable and bad tempered yeah so that that would that definitely made me more irritable so the pain and then when I was having these, you know, outbursts, irrational behavior, I was convinced must be the pain meds, because I would take them whenever I wanted. I have, I'm basically a pharmacy. I had more oxy than I needed. So and this is a big one. problem in America, right, with these pain meds. Do you feel like you ever got to a point where you were addicted to these pain meds? Whenever I would uh, go in a bad mood, I would take one, because it does make you feel better. But then after, um, you know, the time I wanted to basically kill myself, I had to do something. So I assumed everything was related to the pain meds. So I stopped. And you went cold turkey stop. I went, and I didn't tell anyone about it. And going you cold didn't tell turkey, Carol. So I didn't tell anybody. I just stopped taking. And what happened? Um, it, I think I probably became more irritable. Um, I don't really remember much of what happened. I remember um, feeling horrible but also hopefully optimistic that this is, this is the cure-all. Like, just stop taking the drugs and everything's gonna be better. And then it wasn't, which was actually made me sad. Like, crap, it wasn't the pain meds. What else is it? Something else. Yeah. And you can't, it's, you know, I could fix my broken bones. I could stop taking the pain meds because I thought that I was in control. In fact, that, that would fix everything if I stopped taking the pain meds. Yeah. And then when I realized... Um, it was something worse, and I can't fix it. I don't have control over it. That was scary. Carol, with you doing more research than watching this film, you realize that there is a community out there. I mentioned before mm. the statistic with two million Americans suffer from a traumatic brain injury every year. When you realize that this affects so many people, mm-hmm. did you then at least feel like, okay, I've identified what it is now what do we do about it is that mm-hmm. where you sort of got to i'm trying to remember the timeline sort of when we started going to therapy and meditation mm-hmm. i'm not i don't remember if we learned more about meditation just from the research or from the film that was something that was really that. interesting in the film wasn't it just to see how meditation was used as a as a tool for or as part of the therapy yeah And the power of meditation. The power of it is incredible. And for the longest time, I sort of felt like, oh, that's what he needs to do for his brain injury. He should meditate. He should meditate. Right. Not realizing. Spinning, going crazy like (laughs) an energizer bunny. And not realizing, hey, this is good for everybody. And I went to a meditation class at the spin studio. 
and I loved the way the teacher kept saying, just begin again. When your mind wanders off, just come back to the breath and begin again. And I feel like with everything we've gone through, there's just this pattern of begin again. Just begin again and forgive yourself for what happened and keep begin meditating. <laughs> and is this something just you do together? Sometimes, Sometimes we do, we do. Yeah. 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 For people who are listening and they've maybe never tried meditation, mm -hmm. Maybe people think, oh, I don't need med meditation. What do I need that for? But what would you say about meditation, Carol, that is so useful for all of us, regardless of whether we've got a brain injury mm. or just peace of mind, what, what is it? It brings a sense of calm and a sense of control over yourself, that your mind and your body are connected. And just start with a couple minutes. I found it helpful to go to a class and have someone guide me through it. There's so many apps now to use to guide you and it's life-changing i think one of the great things about it too is it can be implemented to help in a time of crisis meaning if it's something you're practicing all the time when mm -hmm. things are okay then if something really yes. traumatic happens in your life you've got to go to you don't yes. have to go pop a pill you can actually yeah use that as a way to deal with stress mm -hmm. and we've been together over 20 years and I think if we hadn't had the strength of our relationship before, we used to have regular date nights and we rode our bikes together a lot. And um, you're good friends. I mean, yeah, you're best friends, you know. Yeah. And I think if we hadn't had that, we definitely would have just I think split up. The, the hardest thing for me to hear, and I can still hear it, is when she said, You're not the man I married. Because oh. then. I knew I was different. I mean, yeah. I knew I knew I'd changed, but to hear it from her, it's like it was profound, scary. It's like, what does that mean? Are you gonna take off? Did you did mm. that go through your mind, David? Absolutely. That was it scared me. And then I knew that I needed to do something. You needed to show Carol that you were prepared to do something to, to change. continue to heal. And it's it's not easy to figure out how to heal with a brain injury. Um, I knew that I had to, you know, the uh, neurologist said you need to see a psychiatrist. And so I got a psychiatrist that works, you know, knew, knew a lot about brain injuries. So yeah, he prescribed um, a mood stabilizer for me. He prescribed an antidepressant. He also gave me a, uh, an alertness medicine. One of the issues with my brain injury was extreme fatigue, almost like narcolepsy. I would be at work and I would have to go hide somewhere and just close my eyes for 20 minutes. Was this the injury or the medication? No, this is this was this was from the injury and why I was on the medication. I see. So you know, I told the psychiatrist all my symptoms. So he gave me a medicine for every for every symptom. So I'm st I start taking those and it helps some, but not enough. And you were you were messing up at work, right? There were I was. Yes, I was hiding at work. I mean, I would get tired. Luckily, the office was big, and I could go find a place to just close my eyes. Um, little tasks, like I would travel a lot for work. I would book a trip for work and look at the itinerary, and it was the wrong city, the wrong date. So, Oh, David, it must have been so frightening for you. It, it was scary. I didn't want anyone to know. That was a big piece of it. But Carol knew. Carol knew, but you, I didn't want anyone else to know. When no. you heard that finally Carol what did you think were you was it what was your immediate reaction hearing that hmm. partly just anger like <laughs> why can't you confide in me and you're only pushing me further away instead of leaning in and and I think as a caregiver I started to get sort of into that role of like I can I can fix you, right. <laughs> which isn't healthy. But so your instinct as a mother too, yeah. right, is to fix and to yeah to nurture and comfort. Nurture. Yeah, and so not being able to comfort someone because they're hiding everything was really hard to hear. So it was a range of emotions of sadness and sadness for him, but also sadness over our relationship. Where is this going to go if we're living like this? If we're just keeping things from each other? when did you decide you were going to allow the kids to know what was happening and when was the time that they found out the full extent of what's been going on because they're now what uh 19 and 16 19 and 16. i think it was 
the conversations definitely after we watched the crash reel as a family, there was more conversations about that. This film really was a pivotal moment in your in, in this mm -hmm. process of recovery, it, right? Mm -hmm. It was huge. And I remember you telling me we had lunch that's together. Right. I think I gave you the and DVD. You said, Phil, yeah, you did. You said, Phil, you yeah. got to see this film. This is this. If you want to know what's going on with me, watch this film. And I did because you also opened up my eyes when I saw that. I I didn't really understand that world. No, it's a, it's a tough world to be in because you don't see it. And yeah. If you look at someone who has a brain injury, you have no idea. Well, this is one of the things mm. with mental illness in general, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, you don't see it. There's so many people who are walking around who are ill, mm -hmm. and you can't physically see it. I think one of the, the remarkable parts of the story is how you both reconnected with the woman who changed your life hmm. back six years ago. You called the driver. Mm hmm of the accident? I, I found her name on the police report, and then she lived at the, uh, she was the Salvation Army Senior Center, right around the corner. What so, motivated you to do this, David? Because I knew it was an accident. She didn't do it on purpose. And I, I put myself in her shoes, like, wow, it must have been horrible. Um, and I wanted to say to her, I'm okay, and I'm not mad at you, it was an accident. And so I called her um, and said to her, you know, hi, my name's David Hadler. Uh, we met, I think, we, I think you said, met you a year ago. I'm, met. Yeah, I'm Catalina. <laughs> it was a very impactful yeah. <laughs> meeting. I think I said, met, met on Catalina and Carnelian. And uh, I want you to know that uh, I'm okay. And I know it was an accident and she was burst into tears quiet and just burst into tears oh. and thanked me how old was this woman she i think she was 82 or 83 so yeah. she starts yeah she, she starts crying and she and she thanked me a few times and you know i didn't want her to have you know any lasting emotions from it either it was, it was truly that. it was truly an accident did you feel any sense of relief after you'd made that phone call I felt like, like I, I, I felt I felt a relief for her. I was hoping I took a little bit of burden off her. You guys have an extraordinary story of of strength, strength of a relationship. You've proven mm. what a couple can go through and still stay mm. together. I mean, you guys have mm. been to the lowest lows. I know you've had some amazing highs together as a couple and a, as a family. So I mean, part mm. of why we wanted you here was we wanted you to share that story because a mm. lot of people go through big life challenges and mm. they don't end up in a place where you are now you're together mm. also just that we're talking about something that affects so many people but that is not really being talked about people in our community have had brain injuries and hide them or don't know how to work with them is it shame it's, it is definitely part shame because you you look in the mirror and you know you're different and you don't know how to control it it's a scary feeling, knowing that something inside you, inside your head, is making you feel different. It's like your hard drive is being damaged. Yeah, you know, you know, like on, on your Mac when you get the spinning beach yes. ball? That is what happens in my head. I cannot focus on anything. It's just completely out of control. So are there times, David, where you'll be staring at your computer and it just, you just go into that spinning ball and, and you're just thinking, what do I do next? I don't know what to do next? There's, I would get anxiety. There's times where even you know, trying to book a business trip yeah. where it became, that could be a trigger, just stressful, and where I would go into that spot. Or I could be, you know, in traffic, not moving, and there, you know, someone cuts me off, and I wanna. Just wanna get out yeah, of road rage. Absolutely. And I've learned to control that, um, partly with meds, but meditation for sure has been a big, a big piece of uh, me learning to control the emotions and staying present. Yeah. Um, absolutely, that's a big piece of it. And I can feel myself when I have that feeling coming on Yeah, that I need to be present. And you, are you more open with Carol now? Are you, are you more open about uh, what's yes. going on? <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, absolutely. That's good. She knows more about me than ever. And Carol, tell us about the Love Your Brain site because there's a lot of great information on there. Is it, it's loveyourbrain.com? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell us about loveyourbrain.com or the, the, the group and 
and how it works, what people can do if they go there? So there are resources um, for both people with brain injury and for caregivers. It, it's a community, isn't it? it it's, you're, essentially, you're saying, hey, if this affects you as a caregiver or through an injury, mm -hmm. you can come and we are, we, the there, door's open. And in a short amount of time, they've impacted and helped so many people with their organization. It's amazing. And, and you're on the, uh, aren't you going to be on the board or something? They just asked me to be on their board, so I started, I think, in March. So I'm okay. on the board of directors for them. And it's, it's exciting because they're a young, small organization, and you get to actually experience and see people benefiting right away. I've been involved with other charities and big organizations, and you're raising money, um, which is wonderful. And this, organization, you actually see the impact right away. You see someone take a yoga class or learn to meditate or have, you know, be with a group of people with brain injuries and discuss it. And it's just, it's immediate gratification. Yeah. And comforting for you. Very comforting. Mm -hmm. And they're small and they're going to grow. Growing. They're growing rapidly. Carol, you got into becoming a spin teacher after this happened. And then you've given up the spin classes, right? But now you're doing something with vision boards. Can you explain what that is? So um, I'm helping women make the most of their lives. And I think a lot of women who are caregivers or moms um, sort of put their own needs second. Mm -hmm. And so I do workshops to help them figure out what's really important to me. What are my values? What are my priorities? And make them a priority and then they can choose to have one-on-one -on -one coaching afterwards um, to hold them accountable and doing what they really want to do and living a bucket lifestyle, basically. Right, living the life that they really they want to They really live. want to live um, based on how do they want to feel, not just what do I want to do, but how do I want to feel? Who do I want to be? Um, and it's very rewarding. It's very rewarding talking to high school girls, to retired women, um, and encouraging to live the life they want to live be the best person they can so you yeah. could say that's a positive thing that's come out of this for you but david you said uh a lot of people say that after a brain injury it's the best thing that could ever have happened to them you know like their lives have changed for the better mm -hmm. even people uh paul de gelder that we spoke to who lost limbs from a shark right. attack he said oh this is the best thing that's ever happened to me you're not at that place i'm i'm, I'm getting to that point mm. but for years I longed to be who I was before the accident all, all that was it was a big change and also you know I believe that what I thought I was before the accident maybe it was rose-colored I mean, I'm sure there, there were challenges before the accident too but I look back on that as easier but one of the mm. things David that you're looking to do is become a ski instructor right Oh, I got a, one of the things. Carol and I were we love skiing. We we're up in Mammoth, and you're a good. You're both very good skiers. I've been out. <laughs> He's on the slope. really good. <laughs> yeah. So we were we were up in Mammoth, and we were talking about. I think it was almost like you know, talking about a vision board. Almost like she she said, "What were the, what were some of the the jobs you liked best in your life?" And I said, "I, I loved being a ski instructor when I was in Mammoth. You know, years ago I was." She said, "You should do it again," and then. I think that same week I ran into some instructors who I know up there, and I said, hey, can I do this again? They said, yeah, just apply online. No way. So I applied online and had my, my little interview, and so I will rehired as a, uh, a holiday and weekend instructor if I want to in Mammoth next year. I love that. You see, well, there's something positive. You that, probably no, there, would there, never there, have thought of doing that again. Absolutely. No, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of positives when I, when I think about it. Um, that's a positive, staying present, is positive. Um, being um, able to take more more risks than I used to, it, um, even in my occupation. I was very comfortable before the accident. Job was great, life was great. And then coming out of that, I wasn't as comfortable, but I didn't want to change. It was scary. Look, I, I know we opened up some wounds with you guys sitting here and but I really do think that people listening at again, I get a lot from your story. And I mean, as a friend, I'd like to say congratulations for getting through some rough territory Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and holding your family together and being there for your 
kids and mm. and being there for each other. Thank like you. Carol, you know, like you've been so strong. You too, David. And uh and I love I love how you've opened up as a friend uh to me, uh just about what you've been going through and there's learned. a lot of people going through this that don't know what to do. People are so much stronger than than they think they are. I think that was one of the biggest things is this experience has given me more confidence in our relationship in yeah. many ways and just that we can take more risks in many ways because we've already been through the worst things and so just try things out of adversity comes strength right? yeah absolutely, absolutely. Uh, David where you're at right now mm -hmm. um, you're still living with a lot of the same challenges right I mean there's still there's things that haven't just vanished no, um, I, I am absolutely living with the same challenges. The but difference is what? I'm in control of them. Right. That's the biggest difference. I don't react to, the, to, to that. I'm in control of it. And if I feel out of control, I can feel it coming on. I know how to, to take control of myself. If I need a timeout, I can walk away from Carol, the Carol, do you send him away and say, take a timeout? Mm -hmm. Yes. She and I did in does. the beginning. <laughs> but in the beginning, he felt like it was a criticism that yeah. I'm telling you there's something wrong with you instead of this is just something to help yeah um but now now there's he's, a big shift yeah now it's just he's oh, more yeah, accepting absolutely absolutely yeah so I, yeah. I end the podcast with a couple of questions uh a road trip mm -hmm. um and because you're together i'm gonna say that you guys are gonna have to work this out as a couple <laughs> Ooh. Um, uh -oh. we don't get a van we you don't get have to have more people you could have a pick carol I'll let you have the first pick <laughs> since you've been such a great caregiver uh. um so you're going on a road trip and you're allowed to take three people in the car with you guys and who would you take in the car okay well we have to have someone funny yes uh robin williams or or robin um, williams <laughs> or tina fey <laughs> We need good music on the road. So, who do you want? Rick Rubin. Got to have have great really good comedy, music. great music, and you have one more pick. John Muir, because we want to go from national park to national park to national park, and without him, we'd have no national parks. And he's an amazing person who would just blaze a trail. Blaze a trail all alone in the middle of nowhere. That's a <laughs> that's a great trip. So, so we and, have figured out. And now what you'd do with your last day on earth if you guys knew you were going to have your last day on earth together what would you do together yeah last day on earth big party lots of dancing music lots of people from our lives i family. would want to know yeah i want family some good friends i want to say thank you to more people mm -hmm. who were there um where would you be up mammoth or i would want to be i know exactly where in mammoth the top of lincoln mountain with music, dancing, and like, like overlooking the town. It's, it's, it's my happy place. Does that sound mm. good, Carol? A good spot? My happy place is more on the beach. So uh, We can do both. We can do both. This is day. why you get yeah. on. You guys compromise. Yeah. No, this well. is why you survive. <laughs> Will you like join that. us? Yeah, I would love to be invited. That would, that would be great. <laughs> guys, thank you so much for, for uh, coming in. Thank you so much. Yeah. Really Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. The day after my interview with David and Carol, I got a text from David who said that he had a few more important points that he wanted to go over, so I gave him a follow-up call. Hello? Hey, David, it's Phil. Well, hello, Phil. Thanks for calling me back. There were a few things that, um, points that I wanted to get across that I just didn't get across that I think are, are kind of valuable from what I've experienced okay. and learned. One, one of the most important things is I, I have a brain injury, but if I wasn't wearing a helmet, I'd be dead. And there's a lot of people out there who don't wear helmets, and especially teenagers that aren't wearing helmets, whether they're skiing, cycling, skating, or whatever it is. But during your teen years, your, your brain is still developing into your 20s, and anything that you're doing, hurting your head during that time, has really lasting effects. And I think as... um. You know, especially as parents, that we need to be really aware of that. Good point. Um, and then another thing is that I've learned is that no two brain injuries are the same. There's um, a wide range of injuries and causes. It's not just sports. 
I have uh, recently met some people, a person who was an executive in a big company who was on a vacation and he hit his head on a door jam and kind of bonked himself, didn't think much of it. And then uh, he goes back to work and he started having issues focusing, um, becoming really tired during the day and agitated. And he went back uh, to the doctor and sure enough, he was diagnosed with a brain injury. And so as a society, we really need to be more aware of, what, of head injuries. A simple bump on the head, it could be much worse. And we really need to work together and, and be aware of symptoms. Um, and our friends and our family, if someone bonks their head and you notice something different a week, two weeks, three weeks later, it could be more than just a bonk on the head. And there are some great ways to get through it and some great strategies that we know about. To, uh, to help you deal with any sort of injury. Another great point. I, I guess one of the, the key things is that today I feel more aware, um, I guess you could say more normal for what I am, um, and I need to be very consistent in my, in my day to, to stay emotionally even keeled and effective. And it's not unlike having diabetes or a heart condition, um, any sort of health condition where you need to stay on top of it. You need to eat healthy, meditate, exercise, sleep. Um, all those things help you get through the day and you just have to think about it more and, and just put a little more strategy into it. My iPhone has become a lifesaver. Um, I can set reminders all the time to, to make sure that I get to the places I need to go, um, any sort of meetings or tasks that I need to do. And I didn't need those things before but having those as a strategy has really, really been effective. Great points. Well, we really appreciate you opening up, David, you you and Carol, and I think there's a lot of takeaway here, and I appreciate the uh, the added notes that you wanted to, to include. You're very welcome. Thank you, Phil. All right, we'll see you out there, and, uh, and, and I'm gonna remember always wear my helmet. I think of you every time I put it on. Thank you very much. L loveyourbrain.com. LoveYourBrain.com. All right. Thank you, David. Thanks, Phil. Bye. Well, there you have it. David and Carol Adler's story. Love your brain. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To see more great interviews, go to PhilCogan.com and subscribe to Bucket with Phil Cogan wherever you get your podcasts. Please consider rating and reviewing us. And follow Bucket, that's Bucket with an I-T, on Instagram and Facebook. Also, follow me on Twitter, at Phil Kogan. See you soon.